Hello, and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode. And everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note ask any question, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references. Welcome to week 45. We are in Matthew chapters 23 through 26, Luke chapters 20 through 22, Mark chapters 13 and 14, and John chapters 13 through 17. The timeline is 30 AD. We will start with Matthew 23 and Luke 20. As we start off in Matthew 23, in the same subject that we ended last week, which is hypocrisy, fitting as not only was Jesus dealing with it in his time, but he knew that we all are hypocrites and would deal with it in others as well. He explains especially what it means for someone in leadership to act like that and the consequences of such actions. It is also a warning to us of how to watch ourselves. Kelly's side note, I used to be in charge of a large group of customer service reps. And because you deal with people, you're almost always dealing with some sort of mistake. And very often it wasn't one you had made. So it was easy to get very mad at the customer, the warehouse, the driver, the salesman, etc. However, I would remind them that rarely, and I do mean close to never, do people wake up and think, gee, I'd like to make a big mistake that causes not only me issues, but everyone else. The same is true for ourselves. So extend some grace and realize that mistakes happen. And it's not that they do, it's your attitude toward them and the person who made it that can make the difference. This is true for hypocrisy as well. None of us want to be hypocrites, but we're human and it's going to happen. Our goal is to be humble about it, ask forgiveness and fix it. Not to be proud and double down on it as the Pharisees were doing. They are an example of how not to be. And don't kid yourself. The minute you think you'd never do that thing, you will be doing that thing faster and harder than the one that you were judging. And as Jesus points out, there are seven woes. So as the great Pastor Paul has said, stay low. So when you fall, you don't have that far to the ground. Luke 21, Mark 13, and Matthew 24, Jesus goes on to explain the destruction of the temple in the end times. They were looking at how beautiful the temple was, and I really hope in heaven we get to see what it looked like. Not that it will compare to anything in heaven, but my earthly brain is curious, and not sure if it will be when I get to heaven, but if I am, why not? And Jesus tells them that every one of those stones will be thrown down, and not one will be left on top of another, which prompts the disciples to ask about this. And Jesus begins to explain all of this. And some of the things he describes has already come to pass, such as the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 AD and an event called the watershed. And you can still go to Jerusalem and see those stones in huge piles today. Other things have not come to pass, but will. He warns that many people will come saying that they are him. Do not be deceived. P.S. Many, many, many cult leaders like to say they are Jesus. Jesus says, we will hear of wars, rumors of war, but not to be scared as these things must happen. So to be fair to our grandparents and great grandparents during the World War I and World War II era, you can understand why they might think that this was the end. To us now, our issues look really bad as well. He tells us there will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, fearful events, and great signs from heaven. I think we check all of those. And while I do not know when the end will be, literally no one does but God himself. So hint, if anyone says they know, just eye roll and move on as they don't. We know it's closer than it has ever been before. He tells us that those who believe will be handed over by our religious leaders and put in front of kings, governors, and still we are not to worry as God will give us the words when the time comes to defend ourselves. But he warns further that not just this, but we 
as a collective, not all as individuals. We'll be betrayed by parents, siblings, friends, etc., and that some of us will be put to death, that everyone will hate us because of Jesus. But not to worry, we will not perish. This means hell here. We will die on this earth, but we will live eternally with Christ. When we see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it doesn't belong, this will be the Antichrist. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world, until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. Armies will surround Jerusalem, which especially since 1967 have we seen this off and on. But most of what Jesus speaks here is the watershed. However, it's not all fulfilled as the time of the Gentiles, who are literally anyone who is not a Jew, has been fulfilled. He explains that the closer time gets to the end, that nations will be in anguish. People will faint from terror and apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Which, to be fair, anxiety and depression are certainly on the rise right now. But when the time comes, the Son of Man, Jesus, will be seen coming in a cloud with great power and glory, and our redemption will occur when that happens. Jesus also warns us not to let our hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the normal anxiety of, of life, as the real trouble will close in on us like a trap. So there's that. Matthew 25, Jesus continues to explain what he has just warned about through parables such as the ten virgins, the bag of gold, and the sheep and the goats. And let me just say that as dumb as sheep are, they do follow their shepherd, and Jesus is our shepherd. So in that parable, you want to be a sheep and not a goat. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13, we come to the time of the Passover festival. And Jesus, knowing that this would be when he would be betrayed, had a large dinner for his disciples. As the time progressed, he went to wash their feet which at the time was something only servants did, and especially in Jewish customs, Jews did not wash the feet of anyone. So not only was the Son of Man washing their feet, but a Jewish man at that. Which is why Peter is so taken aback by this and doesn't want his Lord to be doing something that is so lowly and unworthy of who he is. But Jesus assures Peter that he would understand and if Jesus didn't wash his feet, Peter could have no part of him, which of course freaked Peter out and was like, well, then clean all of me. Jesus continues to explain that they are to follow in Jesus' footsteps, and what they didn't know then was that Jesus was washing the feet of the man who had betrayed him. As they continue on and are eating, Jesus explains that he would be betrayed, which for everyone but Judas, they were scared it was them. And Jesus assures them it was the one that would take the bread he had dipped the dish into. And of course, Judas is like, you don't mean me, Rabbi. And all I can think of is that soundbite where it goes, is it me, Jesus? Even though I know Jesus did not respond that way, as the disciples could have at least picked up on that kind of sarcasm. As he gave the bread to Judas, we know Satan entered the man, and Jesus even tells him to go and do what he is going to do quickly. But as we have learned, the rest of the disciples are confused by the whole thing, which in this case is probably not the worst thing. The supper is where we get communion. As Jesus explains, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Now, denominations celebrate this differently, and as far as I can tell, there is no right or wrong way to do this. Materials used when done, etc. Just the preference. And if you're a Baptist, it depends on which 
churcher. <laughs> Jesus continues to speak to his disciples and tells them that he is leaving them and where he is going, they can't. Peter's like, uh-uh, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answers him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. After dinner, the disciples go to the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus goes further into the garden, taking the main three with him, Peter, James, and John, and tells them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He says, stay here and keep watch. My heart utterly breaks for Jesus at this point. And knowing I'm the reason he had to go through this, it's really almost too much to try and feel at times. He leaves them behind and goes even further in collapsing at the weight of what is going to happen to him. Jesus knows exactly what is going to happen. Not only is he 100% God, but he has all the scriptures that talk about what will happen to him. And to know not only the physical atrocities, but the betrayals, the emotional distress, and even worse, that his father cannot be with him as he takes on the sin. In fact, in John 17, we get to read the prayers that Jesus prays, which how incredible to read the prayer he has said for us specifically. But from there, it starts the moment he comes back to his disciples, especially the main three, and they are sleeping. How awful that must have felt. Sadly, I would be one of those disciples. Not only do I have the blessing of falling asleep anywhere if I'm tired enough, but when told to do something such as stay awake, I will in fact do the opposite, regardless if I want to stay awake or not. However, they could not stay awake. And even though Jesus expressed how important, not only for him, they stay awake, but for themselves, they, they just couldn't do it. But as this is happening, Judas appears with a crowd behind him that were armed with swords and clubs that included the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Judas kisses Jesus, calling him rabbi, which was the signal to the crowd which one Jesus was. Jesus was immediately seized, and Peter cuts the ear off the soldier for taking Jesus. Jesus responds to all of this by healing the man's ear and saying, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw by the sword will die by the sword. Do you think if I called out for my father, he would send legions of angels to save me? But it must happen this way. To the Pharisees, he says, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone, everyone deserts Jesus and flees. Mark 14, 51 has probably the best antidote in this whole story because... It describes this interaction. A young man wearing nothing but a limit garment was following Jesus. And when they seize Jesus, he flees naked, <laughs> leaving his garment behind. Ah, gives me a good snort and otherwise a horrific scene unfolding. Anyway, Jesus is taken before the Sanhedrin, which is where the high priest, chief priests, elders, and the teachers of the law all come together. Peter is following at a distance and is hanging out in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. Peter is following at a distance and is hanging out in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. Then there are charges against Jesus and many false accusation, and most of the witnesses do not even agree with one another. In other words, if this were an actual court of law here in America in 2023, you'd have to let Jesus go as there was absolutely no proof of any wrongdoing. And the Pharisees are trying hard to get Jesus to respond to all of this, but he doesn't. It isn't until he is asked if he is the Messiah and he answers that he is, which to them would be blasphemy and they all agree to condemn him to death. Of course, this would be after they spit on him, blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, screaming that he prophesy and continue to beat him. Meanwhile, Peter is in the courtyard hearing all of this and getting the scoop. A servant girl calls him out and tells everyone that Peter hung out with Jesus. Peter denies this twice. Then when she is vehement, so is he. And with all those sailor words, he knows he denies it. Then the rooster crows and Jesus looks straight at Peter and the entirety of the situation and the prediction Jesus had said to Peter falls on him hard. 
And so this is where we end today. If you have any reactions, thoughts, questions, or words you need to throw my way, please do so at my website, bmepodcast.com. Have a most fabulous week, and I will talk to you in the next episode.